Hello and welcome to Critical Line Item. My name's Tom Rablick. Thank you for joining me for this particular podcast. Now, Australians have observed over the past decade a range of issues that have emerged as a result of how whistleblowers or people who tell stories that authorities don't want heard in the public square are being treated. Now, we've seen a range of uh, a range of cases from the former ATO staffer Richard Boyle to, to issues related to Witness K and uh, lawyer Bernard Collering. Um, joining me today is another uh, individual embroiled in a similar case, or very much the same kind of case, as David McBride, who uh, in his time uh, released information related to concerns what he had about what was going on in Afghanistan some time ago. He's in the middle of a court case at the moment, but it's, a, it's an absolute privilege to chat to him about that, as well as where the laws need to change in order to protect whistleblowers more. David, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Tom. Now, before we get into the substance of the issues that um, I know are on your mind, but also uh, on the minds of the audience that read material about your case. Um, let's travel back in time for a moment. Yep. Where did your involvement in the military begin? Well, I always wanted to be a soldier from, from a early age. They say uh, what you want to be when you're seven is what influences you. I wanted to be a soldier when I was seven, and it was quite unusual uh, in that my, both my parents were doctors, and uh, it was not really. Uh, my grandfather had been a, a, an Anzac on my father's side, um, but he wasn't a professional soldier. He signed up for the First World War, uh, so, yeah, there wasn't really, uh, in a history. And I went to law school first uh, in Australia. Then I did another law degree at Oxford University. Uh, but I met some people from the British Army, and I joined the British Army in the late 80s. Uh, it, it encapsulated everything I wanted in my life. I believe you're fighting for democracy, the rule of law. We were uh, manning the... Uh, the Iron Curtain in uh, Eastern Europe, or Western, uh, the border of Eastern West Europe. Uh, I found that quite exciting. Uh, I did a tour of Northern Ireland, and I enjoyed my time in the British Army. I thought uh, being part of uh, an armed force of uh, a Western democratic nation was a great honour, and it was a very important thing to uh to be a part of. I returned to Australia uh, in my uh, late 30s. Uh, and I uh, get a, got a job as a lawyer. I got married. I had a sort of uh, a, a much more uh, desk-bound sort of life, I guess. I had a couple of kids, but I missed service to the army or service to the nation. And I rejoined the Australian Army uh, as a lawyer, as a military officer, a, a legal officer, sorry, in the military. Um, and I enjoyed that. It was a nice combination of being a lawyer uh, and a soldier. And I still very much believed 
in the big picture that we were defending democracy, we were defending uh, parliamentary rules, uh, the United Nations uh, security, um, uh, the United Nations uh, sort of rules. And I, um, I became concerned in my uh, tours of Afghanistan that we were deviating from the sort of things we were meant to uh, be protecting, that is uh, democracy and truth. And we were becoming um, a far more sinister political force where the truth no longer mattered. Uh, we were being used to do uh, public relations uh, operations, information operations as they called them. And we were getting further and further away from what I considered our role was meant to be in, in, rather than protecting uh, parliamentary democracy and the rule of law and uh, uh, human rights in other countries. We were increasingly uh, being used in, in, in effectively uh, in the opposite to what I expected. Take me, it's a, it's a convenient segue uh, to um, the concerns you had uh, within the army, within the military about um, things that were going on. Um, Take me through the process of what happened. Uh, what happens internally in, a, in an organisation like uh, the Defence Force when when somebody has a concern? What what is the standard process that people follow? There is uh, there's a number of different processes, uh, and this is one of the problems we'll get to in relation to the Public Interest Disclosure Act. Um, they're being more uh, controlled by and one of the process, one of the problems you have is if you have a relatively big, well, it was a big issue complaint like I had, uh, it tends to be looked at uh, by the very people that you're complaining about. There's no independence. And I think Richard Boyle would have found the same thing. Uh, and I imagine uh, uh, Bernard Caleri a bit the same. Once you once you strike on a big issue, uh, you do obviously have to make some sort of internal complaint first. But it's it's a very delicate process because you you suspect that the people that you uh, you have to take this issue up with already know uh, what it's about and they've already made a conscious decision to. Um, to uh, that to take that conduct, it's not impossible that, that you can talk them out of it, but you have to do it relatively uh, diplomatically, and human nature being what it is, uh, people will generally get defensive. So I, I tried to be as diplomatic as I could. I was a I was a relatively senior uh, officer in the military. Uh, I was a yeah, I was a lawyer, so I was capable of writing um, 
relatively diplomatic uh, stuff. And so I took quite a long time to say, basically, to try to get him a gentle warning uh, in the sense that uh, from a an inside the tent perspective to say we could be exposing ourselves to greater greater criticism and greater risks uh, by doing what we're doing. I can see that there may be short-term benefits, for example, in saying that we're winning the war or we're not. Uh, we can all understand why we all put out good news stories uh, for short-term benefit. Um, but uh, you only lose your reputation once. And if we ever get caught out by the Australian public making stuff up, clearly making stuff up, you know, saying that some people are heroes when we know that they're actually war criminals, uh, giving them medals when we know there's huge question marks over them, uh, uh, having allies in our fight uh, for Afghanistan who are actually drug dealers. You know, if we get caught out uh, putting out these bad messages, which we know to be untrue, uh, the long-term damage to our reputation uh, may be something that we not only... It'll be very hard for us to recover, and even if you just take it in a very selfish way, um, maybe... Uh, some generals, etc., will uh, their careers will be over, uh, and maybe that will, we would regret it. In any way, I tried to put it in, in as diplomatic way as I could to say, "Are we sure that this policy of habitually putting out false messages uh, is best for the organisation in the long run?" And I guess there was half a chance I thought that they might say. Uh, we hear what you're saying. We did overextend ourselves uh, a little bit. It was a war. Uh, there was a lot of pressure to uh, to get good political results. Uh, we may have put out the odd. Uh, we may have got a bit carried away with our false messaging, uh, and therefore we might we're going to take your advice and we're going to we're going to you know take your point. Give you a pat on the back and say, "Yeah, in future we will uh, we'll try to, you know, maybe uh, not sail so close to the wind." However, that's not the response I got. Um, it, uh, if it is a big issue, uh, yeah, it's not surprising. That is one of the one of the reasons, and we'll probably touch on this more later. But to say we do need some sort of independent body because. And any anybody, well, and we've seen through the Boyle case, we've seen through uh, organisations don't like to be caught out by their own employees. They they deny it. Uh, they they come back uh, with all guns blazing. And um, but had I had an independent, truly independent body to go to, I might have got a better response. But human nature, as such, is you end up becoming the enemy by saying, are you sure, even no matter how politely you do it. Um, and that, of course, led to uh, contact with people outside the organisation, didn't it? Yeah, that's right. And, and, I, and I wasn't surprised. I grew up, I'm old enough to remember Watergate. Uh, and I, 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 I've always knew that it was... It, 
it was likely to, to come to that situation where I would have to get a uh, uh, a good media person, a trusted media person with some clout uh, and, and explain to them, look, this is pretty bad. We're getting out of control and get them to, uh, I was hoping that I would have, I would be able to uh, possibly do it anonymously, give them the information and get them uh to print it a bit like the Watergate story um, and then to get, uh, once they got denials from the government, to be able to sort of uh, prove those denials wrong because they had so much inside information, uh, which I'd given to them. Uh, it was it was it, one of the things that's really changed um, since the 1970s is that it wasn't that easy to get uh, journalists who were effectively taking the government on, uh, effectively taking the war and terror on, it was uh, it was hard because it, it was a big story, uh, and most uh, even the ABC, which is not a corporate um, uh, institution, I mean it does get its money from the government, and it's their government institution, and um, it is actually part of the government, so. For them to run uh, a really major anti-government story, you know, would be would be like biting the hand that feeds them. So not that easy to do. Um, so it wasn't easy to get it off the ground. When, and this is one of the problems when you are, and all the whistleblowers have found this. You obviously you need press support, but it's not necessarily. Uh, that easy to get. For for example, I mean, it, it's not a fair system where you have to convince the media uh, that you're right. Uh, that was one of the problems I had. Some of it was quite technical. It was about international law. It was about uh, messages which were highly classified, and it's a very unsatisfactory. Uh, a situation where in order for a journalist, uh, I mean, in order for a whistleblower to survive, uh, they have to be able to convince journalists that they're right. Uh, journalists, you know, uh, you, you, you're one of yourself, you're one of the smarter ones, but uh, you even, I'm sure you'd agree that that's a bit of a tenuous situation. And again, if we had uh, uh, a, a whistleblower authority, some sort of third party, and, and presumably they'd have experts in particular areas, it would be a little bit easier. But I struggle to get uh, people who uh, complete, they could see some of my points, but they couldn't necessarily see them all. But eventually I got, um, I, I did get some journalists who were prepared to uh, uh, to run with the story. And that was, um, it's an inexact science, uh, that that began to get uh, uh, some sort of traction. And eventually there was an, in, an internal inquiry, uh, the Burrington report into war crimes. So there was uh, a bit like, it's a bit like you're fighting, when you're a whistleblower, you end up fighting your own war. And, and it's a bit like a war in that you have some battles, you win, some battles you lose. Uh, you you move towards uh, an overarching goal, but it's not a particularly smooth process. And uh, uh, that was an, that was a bit, that's all been a bit of a uh, a learning journey for me. But yes, I got the media. I, I got the media on side. We started to score some goals. 
uh, I, I probably didn't really get all the traction that I wanted, ironically, till I was charged. I knew I would be. Uh, of course, I believed in what I was doing so strongly. That wasn't a barrier to me because I was always about getting change. And this is one of the problems that you have with the Public Interest Disclosure Act. That looks at whether or not you um, you uh, you should be you should be charged, uh, but that was never my goal. I was never trying to avoid going to jail per se. I was trying to get change in what I saw as a very corrupt Australian government system, uh, where all the departments, the Defence Department included, were focused on putting out good news messages that would make the minister popular rather than focused on their core job, like protecting Australia. Uh, I saw it as a big problem. I want a change on that big problem. Uh, and I, it, I wasn't trying to avoid jail. I was trying to get change. Uh, and so this was one of the issues uh, I was going to have, uh, even when we looked at at my uh, case under the Public Interest Disclosure Act, the judge would have said to me, yeah, Major McBride, you didn't, you know, you didn't tick all the boxes for the Public Interest Disclosure Act. And I would have been like, yes, Your Honor, I understand that, but I wasn't trying to avoid uh, jail. I was actually trying to get change. For example, one of the things the Public Interest Disclosure Act has become quite prescriptive. And they say, uh, you've got to wait until the internal inquiry mechanism uh, has come to a, 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 an end before you can see the media. Now, that's, that seems reasonable enough. It's a new act. But, of course, the in order to make things difficult for you, if the government suspect you're going to become a whistleblower, they could, just, they could draw out that internal inquiry process for two years. And under the Act, that means you can't go to the media for two years. And that could mean that's very frustrating. If In my case, they drew it out for a full year. And in that full year, I'd already, I'd already seen the media. And the reason I saw one, I saw a guy called Chris Masters. Um, and he was he's obviously a very reputable um, uh, journalist. He, he's taken on governments before. And mm -hmm. I thought he would be the right person to see. Um, but that uh, me seeing Chris Masters before the, uh, the the end of the internal inquiry that year would mean I wouldn't be eligible for protection under the Act. And uh, another thing that that is quite prescriptive in the Act is that it's you must see uh, the correct public interest disclosure uh, delegate, and the and the organisation gets to decide in that delegate. And one of the, uh, when we were having my hearing, uh, which was since abandoned, one of the bit, one of the questions that was going to be argued was not so much the merits of my case, not so much that whether or not they were covering up war crimes, but whether uh, the person that I'd seen, and they accepted that I had complained to a person in the organisation, but whether or not they were the correct public interest disclosure delegate for myself and so it's a bit like really why would we um why wouldn't we argue the substantive issues and of course the the the, 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 the government department in my case the defense force 
get to argue uh, uh, hard about uh, the fact that I saw the wrong person. Uh, and, uh, and and it's quite hard for us to argue against them on that point. But they get they get quite a few free kicks to avoid the substantive issues and just argue over uh, minutiae about you didn't complain to the right person, you complained too early, um, and, and, and and as we saw in my case, the ultimate one to say you can't use any of the information in your case because it's all covered up, uh, it's all classified, and therefore um, the judge is not even allowed to see it. So uh, the government departments get to... Uh, play a lot of interference to stop people um, using the act even though, even and let alone um, look at the substantive issues there was something you said earlier in um, in the uh, in your response and I want to come back to um you you mentioned that you had a bit of a uh, thought about the Watergate situation in dealing with in how you might approach that. You know, how influential was the you know, that Watergate scenario in your thinking? Yeah, it was very influential. I thought it was the same thing. I thought, and I've and I've said this before in a uh, in summaries. I didn't see it as a the My Lai massacre, I didn't see it so much as a war, you know, particular. The war crimes were a symptom of a larger problem. I saw it as Watergate. I believed it was a cover-up. I believe it probably, I don't know if it went to the Prime Minister, but it certainly went to the Defence Minister, and it's hard to believe it wouldn't have gone to the Prime Minister. Where they'd made a conscious decision to say, we know... There are war crimes going on. We know our most famous soldier is involved. Uh, therefore, we we have too much to lose by having an investigation. It's unpopular. What we will do is we'll kick it down the track for as long as we can. Uh, in the meantime, in order to get journalists off our back, we will uh, we'll look for scapegoats of less famous soldiers and we'll put them on trial in order to keep the journalists off our back. I think that's what happened. Uh, and I wanted, I needed a very clued up journalist. This is why Chris Masters uh, appealed to me. I needed someone who would have had connections within government because I, I couldn't see the full, full story. I could only see the uniform um, side of it. Uh, I needed some sort of uh, intel from what was happening in the minister's office, uh, whether any uh, incriminating conversations were recorded by staffers, uh, that they knew there were some big issues and that, and that things needed to be covered up and this was a plan. So, yeah, I, um, I wanted that. I, I wanted someone like Masters or, 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 in fact, like Bernstein and Woodward to start asking questions of the government and seeing if they could pin them down in like a game of chess or a game of battleships and say, did you know this? Did you know that? And as they gave their answers, they could start saying, hang on, you know, we, we pinned you into the fact that that can't be true. Unfortunately, 
Uh, we've learned a lot of bad lessons uh, since the 70s. To a certain extent, there's been negative uh, evolution uh, in politics and war, and we don't have press conferences anymore where you can pin the government down with those hard questions like I imagine. Uh, they only ever answer questions when they want to. Uh, they don't, and they, if it's too hard, they don't answer questions. And uh, they have a lot of people doing their public affairs. And, and that was that was a naivety on my part to think that they could be trapped like that. Uh, I was hoping that the journalists would be able to do the heavy lifting with the documents. But saying that, I wasn't afraid of uh, having to face the music myself. All the journalists who, who took documents off me were, were very good. And they said, you understand you are at great risk uh, because it won't be that hard for the Department of Defence to find you. And I was like, yes, I understand that. because, But I think this is so important um, that I'm prepared. If, if While I don't want to, uh, to, to, to jump straight into the fire because I uh, that won't achieve anything. I'm trying to actually get results here. But if I have to, um, if I have to show my face, uh, if I have to own it in order to get results, um, I will do so because I believe I believe it was a continuation of my military duty in that I'm I'd sworn on a Bible in front of an Australian flag to do everything I could. Uh, to basically uphold the laws of this country. Um, and I believe that I was doing that. And, and I also believed it would be a bit of a cop-out if I didn't, uh, wasn't prepared to front up and, and take um, uh, some sort of sacrifice uh, in order to uphold those laws and in order to do what, what was right. So uh, I was I was angry as much as anything, and, it, and if it, if someone had to uh, uh, face the music, I was prepared to do it. Uh, one of the things in a discipline that I am very familiar with, um, being audit, is that uh, you know, auditors do not audit their own work. One of the points you've made in this discussion so far is that in the uh, in the process of public interest disclosures um, and in the way in which that operates, uh, departments, uh, in your case, defence, tend to or could be seen to be auditing their own work because it's been dealt with inside the tent rather than through an independent um, perspective, you know, or an, or an ombudsman, if you like, um, which is a convenient kind of segue to the to, to the issue that I think is, is germane to the whole discussion. What must change to make the public interest disclosure laws uh, better? in your view? Yes, it's an interesting problem. I don't... Uh, we, the act is, 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 is almost worse than a failure because the, there must be some sort of common law principle that says uh, 
you are allowed to go to the media if uh, the department you are working for is breaking the law or some such thing. Uh, and, and they would have to weigh up the potential damage, uh, the, any potential damage from the release of the information over the potential uh, breach of the law. Now, but by trying to codify these into an act, we seem to have really made a pig's ear of it because uh, the codification uh, requires, uh, it, it gives the government department so much more power over you know, whether you report it to the right person, uh, whether you uh, uh, whether you whether you made any kind of complaint um, uh, outside of your chain of command um, uh, within the right time frame. Now these are things which wouldn't necessarily be looked at under the common law. They would mar, they would really the judge would be able to make those decisions, and the judge alone would be able to say uh, it was a reasonable thing to do in the circumstances rather than having to look at the very prescriptive things uh, which are in the acts, like did they complain to the right delegate? Did they complain um, within the right time frame? Uh, yet the more complicated the act uh, has become, the less useful it is to whistleblowers who may have... Uh, have really done the right thing on a key issue. One of the things the Act doesn't look at is how dangerous was the conduct being complained about. You know, you could be complaining about the Holocaust or nuclear waste being dumped in uh, Warragamma Jam. You know, there are certain... When you've got an extreme circumstance like that, it shouldn't be the case that you could be uh, tripped up uh, due to technicalities. I think one of the key things is we need to have uh, an independent, some sort of independent body, because organisations shouldn't be allowed to, as you said, audit themselves. They shouldn't be allowed to uh, uh, rule on uh, uh, the virtues or, or not of whistleblowers within their own organisation, because if they can, there will always be a tendency for them to say this person's not worthy, this person's not within the within the realms. Uh, that is human nature. But some sort of third party uh, who could at least put it in the ballpark, and that would be better in the long run because that would also save people like me uh, having to go to the media because especially with the classified documents, if had there been some sort of third party, trusted third party. I could have taken the documents to them. There would have been no uh, leaking to the media and they would have been able to look at it behind closed doors. That is obviously uh, the best way to go. It's hard. The fact that the Labor government have talked a very good game on whistleblowers but still haven't... Um, uh, haven't backed a whistleblower protection authority, even in uh, some sort of relatively uh, lukewarm way, I think is a, it can only be a, an indicator of bad faith because what have they got to lose, really? And this is one of the, the shames. The government has got nothing to lose from 
good government, basically, which is what whistleblowers will bring. And and we have uh, we should be promoting it because we are only all people like myself and Boyle, um, uh, Caleri. Uh, Australia would only could only be better if the sort of things we talked about were fixed. And it would it would be bad for the government. It would only be good for the government if. Uh, corrupt practices in various departments will clear it up. And, and it's a shame that they don't uh, see that and they don't back us a little bit more wholeheartedly as if we are the enemy. When we're not the enemy of good government, we're actually the friend of good government. I think the... Um, a point that is also worth raising, and this is something that I talk to with a couple of people a lot, and uh, anyone that's a whistleblower enters into what uh, sociologists, and one in particular, um, call uh, a moral, a moral disen morally disengaged environment. Um, yeah. How much of that kind of uh, thinking have you sort of done in terms of how government operates? Yeah, well, um, I'm quite, I was quite surprised by it. And, and since, uh, uh, since I, I, my own experience, I, I, I was off sick with a post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, I, I was eventually discharged from the Defence Force. Anyway, I've had about five years where I've, I've read a lot more about the, the various different cases and I can see that there are similarities. And this is one of the advantages we've got with Richard Ball's case and, and Bernard Caleri's case and and even the ones that have come before, like Jeff Morris it, it, it with the, um, the Banking Royal Commission. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 and one that I found... Um, uh, particularly uh, interesting was uh, Peter Fox, uh, who the, the detective who uh, helped get the uh, the Royal Commission into institutional uh, child uh, abuse. That uh, his story has has uh, has real similarities to my own in that he started to uncover things. And it was shut down, and he he was actually shut down, and then he did it uh, on his own, and then uh, senior detectives or senior police officers wouldn't say it was raided. They unofficially raided his office and looked for his files, and so they could destroy them. Uh, there seems to be an uh, us versus them mentality. Um, the moral disengagement. Yeah, it's surprising how when people start to work for an organisation, and even though, like me, they've been to the same schools, they've been to the same uh, lectures on law and morality and ethics, despite that, uh, they seem to uh, want to band together and attack anybody who is um, a, a dissenter from from the organisation? Yeah, it seems to. I was quite surprised by the moral disengagement that I didn't find any 
very few friendly uh, uh, faces uh, in, in the higher echelons. It seemed to be uh, uniformly people who saw me as some sort of enemy uh, and and who, uh, you know, I had to be uh, crushed at all costs. And it was, yeah, it's a very psychology uh, the psychology of it is fascinating and, and how that happens when we've actually all done the same training. They all, they're all meant to want to do the right thing. Uh, and yet that doesn't seem to be the way it works. And as I said, it's one of the, if you want to be a successful whistleblower, you've really got to put a lot of thought into psychology uh, of people, of organisation, because it's, yeah, I, I was surprised how, uh, what a united front I came up against and how people didn't seem to, even though they'd done the training, the same training I've done, they did not see things the same way I did. And that was that was quite, that was a surprise for me. It's an interesting point you raise because the illustration that, that, that comes to mind is, um, you know, there are... Uh, uh, there's a a kind of a, a a pack mentality that people wouldn't think humans are capable of, um, but it, whistleblowers seem to be subjected to a pack pack mentality uh, within an organisation. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. Uh, that is exactly what happened, and even though I uh, I was surprised by it, there's there's no doubt that's that's what happens. Once you become, even people who were relatively sympathetic uh, beforehand, fellow lawyers who could see uh, the points I was trying to make, once I actually became a whistleblower, you know, it was a pack mentality against me. And maybe it's because people who have some sort of a guilt guilt feeling that they they knew as much as I did. Maybe they thought in their heart, maybe they could have, should have said more, should have done something, but they do, uh, they do become a pack mentality and you do, uh, they do really pretty much turn against you universally. Uh, it is hard because you also, if you are uh, someone like me who was a soldier and enjoyed being a soldier, uh, you when you get out of that uh, organisation and you lose your sense of identity, it, it you struggle because you're not really a soldier anymore. You're kind of a... You, well, you have to tell yourself you are a soldier and you're fighting for uh, the beliefs and you're, you're very much uh, uh, still a soldier, but it, it, it is hard and you are... Because you lose... You don't realise how much you lose your sense of identity. So I guess the flip side of that... Is that people uh, have this have this sense of identity, and maybe that's why they adapt such a a pack mentality against you. And David, you've been extremely generous with your time. What I do want to do is uh, ask you to, to, I guess, nominate a site or anything. If people want to know more about you and your case where would they find information online? I've got a, a website, davidmcbride.com.au. 
Uh, I'd be very grateful for people to have a look at that. Uh, I've got an Instagram, David Bird McBride, <laughs> and I've got a um, uh, I'm on Twitter, Murdoch Cadell, and I've got a GoFundMe to help Major David McBride with his fight for justice. But I'm very grateful for you. Uh, crikey, you've been a particularly uh, uh, you do so many good stories, and uh, I'm. I'm really, I can't tell you the strength that I get from speaking to intelligent people um, with a little bit of insight. Uh, it's like water in the desert. And so, yeah, thank you very much for your work. And thank you so much for your time today, because I know you've probably got a lot of things to think about. <laughs> I've got to think about boxing training again. <laughs> <laughs> okay. uh, David, thank you so much. Thank you, Tom. Good to speak.